You're listening to Voices of Your Village. This is episode 104. Today we're talking about what to do when a kiddo is preferring one parent. You know when they like scream cry and they're like, no, mama do it. Or they're like, only dad can put me to bed or whatever. And you're like, okay, great. Um, And you're exhausted and you don't want to do all the things for this tiny human. You would like to be able to tap into your support system and your co-parent. Or maybe you're on the other side of this and you're feeling really bummed and it feels like you don't get to interact with your kid and do these activities with them that you really love and cherish. So today we're diving into it. All of the things. This is a bit of a nerdy episode, but I leave you with a concrete, tangible plan for moving forward, regardless of where you fall on the spectrum. Before we dive in, I want to let y'all know that our special deal for Mama's Getaway Weekend is expiring soon. For the month of January, you can put just 25% down to make it more feasible for y'all to come. I have spent so much time and money and energy on getting to this place with my mental health, from reparenting my adult self to learning to live without anxiety and diving into how to have the strongest relationship I can have. Honestly, right now, it's the healthiest it's ever been. And what this looks like for tiny humans, how do you build a foundation with them that'll serve them for the rest of their lives? And I don't want y'all to miss out on this. With this babe coming, I'm really pulling back on in-person presentations and workshops. And we're not totally sure what that future holds for 2021. So come on over, come snag your mama's getaway ticket today. More than half of the people coming are flying in for it. And babe, same. (laughs) I'm flying in with my team for this as well. So come join us, mamasgetawayweekend.com. You can find all the deets and snag your ticket for just 25% down right now. I cannot wait to hang out with you so that you can build this toolbox to change your life, your partnership, and your tiny human's life. All right, let's dive in. Welcome to Voices of Your Village, a place where parents, caregivers, teachers, and experts come to support one another on this wild ride of raising tiny humans. We combine decades of experience with the latest research to create the modern parenting village. Let's dive into honest conversation about real parenting challenges so it doesn't have to be this hard. I'm your host, sleep consultant, child development specialist, and passionate feminist, Alyssa Blass Campbell. Hey guys, recently in our Facebook group, someone popped in with a question about what to do when a child favors one parent over the other. And I'm not going to lie, we batch out these podcast episodes, typically a couple months at a time, where we are either looking for guests or are planning out the audio so that we can get everything set and ready for you ahead of time and aren't rushing to make it happen. And there were so many comments on this post that I was like, man, we got to pump the brakes and figure out a way to fit this one in ASAP because it was clear that a lot of you were asking for these tools right now. 
So, today we get to talk about this. What does it look like when a child is favoring one parent over the other? It was interesting because in the discussion, y'all were discussing this from different points of view, what it looks like when your child is choosing you for all the things and what it looks like when your child is choosing your partner for all the things. One thing that everybody had in common was that there are adult feelings attached no matter what side of this you're on. So I think we have to start there. Like when you are the parent who is the one your kiddo doesn't want right now, there can be feelings of sadness and frustration that your kiddo doesn't want you or need you in these moments in the way that they seem to be desiring the other parent. It can feel sad and lonely and disappointing and you might feel left out that You spend, especially when kiddos are in early infancy, like newborn stage, uh, they come out of the womb pretty helpless in terms of like mammals. Human babies really can't do much for themselves and they need an adult to really care for them in ways that not all animals and mammals do. So to go from being needed and desired to all of a sudden not being needed as often or desired to hear a kid say like, no, I don't want you. I want daddy to do my bath or no, I want mama to do it. Man, that's heartbreaking. You're like, dude, I was up with you for countless nights and have gone through all of the hard things and now this is this is it. This is how this is playing out. <laughs> There's likely part of you that wants to be like, hey, dude, remember all of the times that you would only settle on my body when it was inconvenient for me? <laughs> so I think first we have to just start with recognizing those emotions that like you might be feeling that it is crucial that neither you nor the other parent are using phrases like, It makes mommy sad when you don't want me to put you to bed. It makes daddy sad when you tell him you don't want him to do your bath. They are not responsible for your feelings. You can feel sad. You can feel frustrated. You can feel all of these things. It's not your child's job to help you process. It's your job to be mindful of how you're feeling And to have a toolbox to pull from to help you process those feelings. To have someone else you can turn to and say, man, this is really hard and I'm feeling sad. Or to be able to move your body or to pause and breathe or to have mantras to tap into that remind you this actually isn't about you. If you're the parent who is wanted for all of the things right now, dang, it's so training. It's exhausting to feel like If you don't do the thing, you don't do bath time, or you walk away in any capacity, that then you have to listen to your child screaming for you because they don't want the other parent in that moment. It can feel like it's just easier for you to do it yourself. It's totally understandable, both to not want to have to do it yourself, to want some support here, and to 
feel like it's just easier if you do it yourself. Again, it's important that as you're navigating this, not only are you bringing awareness, but you're tapping into self-regulation tools to help you cope and process this information. Maybe it's something you're talking about in therapy, or maybe it's something you're turning to a friend for. We all desire to have a healthy attachment with the humans around us, with our kiddos, with our partners, etc. Maybe not partners. I mean, cheers to you. You do you, babe. Partner. <laughs> and maybe with parents, maybe with friends. So I want to break down attachment because we got to look at what that really means. And so much of who we are and how we show up and what attachment we start to create with offspring has to do with the attachments we formed in early childhood. There are four attachment styles. Number one, secure. This, I would say, is our goal, a secure attachment. This is confident, reciprocal, it's not reactive, it's responsive. Um, this is where we'll see resiliency in attachment. Often in a secure attachment, especially between parent and child, what we're seeing is that there isn't anxiety, so it's not this rush to stop an emotion for your comfort, but rather the idea that like, okay, they can handle their own hard stuff. It's not my job to help them feel calm. And... They're a calming presence for me. So if a child is, say, having a giant meltdown because they wanted a popsicle and you said no, if we then go into, oh, but you can have a snack later, or do you want to try one of these other things? Or remember, I said if you did X, Y, and Z, you could have the popsicle and you didn't. When we get into that anxious state, what we're really saying is, It's uncomfortable for me that you are expressing a hard emotion and I need to make it stop. On the flip side, when a child expresses this hard emotion because they're disappointed or frustrated that they're not getting what they want and you're confident in your decision and you you can validate their feeling and hold space for them without also getting upset or needing to make their expression stop, This is a key component to developing a secure attachment. It shows that you as the adult are responsible for regulating your own feelings and that it's okay for the other human to feel upset. That that doesn't dysregulate you. You can handle that. You have the tools for that. Even if you get frustrated that you say like, man, I'm feeling frustrated. I'm going to take some space and take some deep breaths. Again, lets them know they aren't responsible for you. It's not their job to make sure you calm down. This is a key part of forming secure attachment. The next is anxious preoccupied. This is where we'll often see a lack of nurturing. And this can often lead to emotional dependence on others. If you weren't nurtured or made to feel loved with a healthy attachment, if it felt like the caregiver in your life was preoccupied with something else, if you weren't a priority, you'll likely have a low self-esteem or you are really dependent on finding other people who will show you that love because you're searching for that attachment. The next is 
dismissive avoidant. And this is often that people don't believe that the other, that they need other people, essentially. It's like, I'm okay. It's you that's not okay. They're often emotionally distant. It could be really hard for them to let down their walls and connect. If a child has had trauma around, um, potentially a parent who didn't show up for them or wasn't consistently there for them, they can develop this idea that, like, I don't need other people. And really it's this resistance, these walls that have been put up for survival for them. And it can then be hard to navigate relationship moving forward. They can be viewed as like just fiercely independent. I am loving ready to eat meals in this season of life. Things are just really busy over here with a toddler and a newborn. And I don't always want to be focusing on meal planning and ordering groceries. Factors, fresh, never frozen meals are chef crafted and dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. There's zero prep and zero mess. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup involved. And holy moly, do I need that right now. I also love that I can order as much or as little as I need by choosing my meals every week, and I can pause or reschedule my deliveries anytime. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, restaurant-quality meals with no cooking required, and there are more than 60 add-ons, like pancakes and smoothies, to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Head to factormeals.com slash village50 and use code village50 to get 50% off. That's code village50 at factormeals.com slash village50 to get 50% off. With spring on the horizon, but not quite here yet in Vermont, I've been looking for simple ways to give my body the energy boost it needs and keep up with healthy habits, especially on those tired mornings when I'm just feeling drained. And that's why I decided to give AG1 a try. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and more, but it's a powerful healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel more energized and ready to take on the day. It's a morning ritual that gives me peace of mind and then I'm getting comprehensive nutrition that supports my immune system and keeps me going all day. As a parent of two amazing kids, longevity is on my mind more than ever before. I want to make sure I'm taking really good care of myself so that I can continue to show up for the moments that matter. Every day, AG1 helps me build long-term health with daily nutrients that support brain, gut, and immune health. All it takes is one scoop a day, and I'm setting myself up for the long run. AG1 is the supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm jazzed to welcome them as a new sponsor. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and 5 free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com village. That's drinkag1.com village. Check it out. The last one is avoidant fearful. This is high anxiety. So They're typically more dependent in relationships than the avoidant dismissive. 
and they have strong fears of rejection, often a very low self-esteem, high anxiety in relationships. They often desire a closeness, but they're scared of it. They're afraid of being hurt. They almost expect to be hurt. They might have walls up because they're afraid that they're unlovable. The anxious response to kids trying to make them stop expressing, I think can really lead to this last one. In that kiddos might feel like, oh, because they have hard feelings, because they express their emotions, that they're too much, that somebody isn't going to be okay with them, that it's going to be too much for someone to handle. I mean... How many times have you as an adult been like, oh, I'm so sorry. I even remember this summer when I was like at the hardest part of this fertility challenge and was really emotional and just I I ended up starting with a new therapist over the summer because I found myself going to this place where I just wanted to cry. And I just, it was like tears were just living behind my eyes, just waiting. And at one point I turned to Zach and was like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that I'm so sad. And he was like, Alyssa, this is sad. Like, you're allowed to be sad. But I was worried about being too much, that if I was too sad or it was too many hard feelings and whatever, that it would be just overwhelming for him and he wouldn't want to put up with it. For those of you who know Zach, you're like, oh my God, it's the opposite. He's whatever there for the long haul. But I had this fear. And I think growing up, I got the, like, you're okay, pull yourself up from the bootstraps, just, like, brush it off, keep going, consistent messages of your hard feelings are too much for us to be around. And I think when we rush to make kiddos stop expressing, this is actually something that's interesting because we have attachment parenting, which I think is ironic because I think so much of the practice of attachment parenting is really sending the message of, I want your hard feelings to stop. So I'm going to make sure I pick you up or I'm going to make sure I do something so that you know you aren't alone in this, which I think is maybe the goal, but often what we end up doing is really getting anxious about them feeling and that then this child crying or expressing their emotions becomes something we need to stop. And I don't think that that leads to secure attachment. All this to say that we as adults are going to come into parenthood with our own attachments from childhood. And so starting to understand where you fall in this square, in the attachment square of what your attachment style is can help you bring awareness first so that you can then regulate, so you can be mindful of like, oh, I am feeling the need to make sure my kid stops crying when they're with my partner as they're crying for me. I'm feeling the need to make it stop so that my kiddo knows that I love them. And being able to rewrite that to say, they do know that I love them. I show them in all of these ways. And right now, me taking care of my mental health and supporting my partner in this co-parenting journey 
is modeling for this child where the boundaries are and that taking care of our own mental health is a priority. You can start to rewrite those patterns once you really can recognize your urges and where they're coming from. Bringing awareness is always, 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 always the first step to making any change. You can't change something you're not aware of. Holy moly, those mama's getaway tickets are going like hotcakes. So many of you snagged your mama's getaway ticket for 2020 in our launch month of December. We also got a bunch of messages from people saying one lump sum was really challenging for them financially. So for the month of January, we are offering a payment plan where you can put down just $125 today so that you have the opportunity to join us in April in Carlsbad, California to take a deep dive into who you are, what your habits and patterns are, what it looks like to rewrite those bad boys, and how to best show up for and serve your tiny humans in building their emotional development toolbox. I'm so darn jazzed to hang out with y'all in California in April. Head over to mamasgetawayweekend.com to sign up and snag your ticket today for just $125 down right now. Mamasgetawayweekend.com. Snag your ticket today. The other thing to look at here is what attachment style are we perpetuating with the child? And maybe your child has a secure attachment with you and they are working on building their attachment with your partner. Maybe they have a different attachment with your partner that they're trying to navigate or continue to work on. And this can ebb and flow. It will for sure ebb and flow. I think so often we'll say like, oh, this is just a phase. And frankly, usually I think that's a load of bull because a lot of things will just evolve into another form of that phase unless we give kids the tools to process or to express what they're meaning or whatever when we're like, oh, hitting, it's just a phase. Like, well, if we don't give kids the tools to do something else, we're going to see hitting evolve in some capacity into another behavior that is not pro-social because they haven't learned what to do with those hard emotions. So I think sometimes we say, like, this is just a phase. And I usually think, like, no, it's it's not. And But in this instance, it can be a phase that, like, kids will ebb and flow with whom they're working on navigating relationship with in the same way that we do. Like, if you're really focused on nurturing your partnership right now, you might not have the same energy and capacity to show up for your friends or to hold space for a coworker or to work on your relationship with your parents. Like I wouldn't say like work on all the things at the same time. And so if a kiddo is working on figuring out this attachment with one parent, that will ebb and flow over time. It won't be that way forever. I think the most important thing we can do here is to get on the same page with your partner to have a space where your child is not present for this conversation, where you are talking to your partner about like, hey, 
I'm feeling really overwhelmed because every time I go to do something, Jack needs to be on my body or be next to me or he needs me to do all these things right now. And whenever he says, like, no mama do it, I feel like you just back away and then it's all this pressure on me. And I got to figure out where we go from here and, and how we can come up with another plan. Or it might be the other way around where you're saying, hey, I am feeling pretty bummed that every time you're around, Jack doesn't want me to do anything for him. And it hurts my heart when he's crying as I give him a bath because he wants you to do it. And I don't know the answer here, but I'd love to chat with you to figure out where to go from here. So I think first starting with open communication with your partner about this and holding space for them to share their feelings. Maybe they're like, yeah, it's exhausting to be the one that Jack always wants, or it's really sad for me when Jack doesn't want me to do these things. And sometimes we see that it's the parent who is with them most like if there's a stay-at-home parent or if there's a parent who spends more time with them sometimes the kiddos are like I want that person to do these things for me because I know that they can I feel confident and comfortable with them Uh, I know that they understand my language right now I know that they know how to meet my needs we can see it sometimes with a breastfeeding parent that the child's like no I want that person because their boobs do something for me that yours don't, and I want that option. Uh, Sometimes we see that, say, there's a stay-at-home parent and a working parent. Sometimes we're seeing that once the working parent comes home, the kiddo only wants that parent. So they're like, man, I've had you all day, and I haven't had enough time with this other person, or I'm craving time with this other person. And that can be exhausting too, to work all day and come home and feel like, okay, now you are 100% on and can't share the parenting duties in the evening. Like either way, I don't think this is easy no matter where you're falling. So I want to create space for y'all to have a conversation with each other without the child there to come up with a plan. Now in coming up with the plan, There are a couple things that are key here. One, it's going to be figuring out what are the boundaries going to be. Is it going to be that, all right, mom's doing bath time every night or dad's doing bedtime every night. And even if the child is upset about it, that's the routine and that's what we're going to stick to. The kid is going to push back and is going to cry and is going to scream and is going to say like, this isn't my first choice. It's okay for them to feel upset and it won't always be this hard. It's their job to let you know that they're upset about that. And then you get to validate for them. You get to emotion coach. And if you have an infant toddler, check out episode number 103 on emotional development for infants and toddlers. And if you have a kid of any age, check out episode 63 on emotion coaching. I walk you through with the co-creator of the SEP method, how to emotion coach kids for emotion processing. So this will give you a guideline for when to say stuff, when not to, because so often in emotion coaching, we're talking way too much, way too much. We just keep trying to fill that silence because holding space for kids to feel is really hard. So check those episodes out to help you fine tune this 
ability to validate a feeling and then stop talking, (laughs) Uh, to give them time to feel and express and and be ready for coping. Um, But in creating a plan with your partner, then you can go in both prepared for, okay, when I go to do bath time, it might be an S show. It might be a really hard transition and experience. And it might be really hard for the person who's also not in it, but is listening to it. You might have a desire to go in and just say like, I'll just do it so that the kid stops expressing. But remember what message you're actually sending there is when you are really upset, that's hard for me to hear. So I'm going to come make it stop. Instead, the other parent gets this opportunity to emotion coach and hold space for these emotions and show up for this kiddo. I love using choice theory here with two choices that we are ready and comfortable with. Like, would you like to walk to the bathroom by yourself or should I carry you into the bathroom? Would you like to do big jumps to the bathroom or do you want to have a race to the bathroom? But it's not, do you want me or mom to do it? It, We already have created this plan together that you're the one who's going to do it. Then you got to stick to that, babe. When you set and hold these boundaries with consistency and emotion coaching, you'll see a change in the behavior relatively quickly. It's not something you're going to be doing for like even two weeks. I would say within a week, you're going to see changes if you are consistent And if you go into this expecting that your kid's just going to be like, okay, great, can't wait to go and do bedtime with you, even though every night I've screamed for the other parent, if you aren't prepared for their hard emotions here, it's going to be really, really hard to stay regulated. So you got to be armed and ready with like, all right, I know that they're going to start scream crying. What's my plan? What am I going to do to support myself? What am I going to do if I'm the parent listening to it so that I don't step in to be the fixer? Also, when you step in to be the fixer, you undermine the parent who's already there doing this. And you send the message to the kid that the parent who's with them doesn't have the toolbox to do this. That you are the only one who can meet these needs. If that's the message you're going for, go right ahead, babe. <laughs> but if you are working and your partner is desiring the secure attachment with them and for their, the kiddo to know that they can meet their emotional needs too, then you're going to have to give them space because also it's not going to be perfect. In the same way that you make mistakes all the time as a parent, because every human makes mistakes, you're going to have to sit by and hear and see your partner make mistakes. Now, if your child's ever in danger, sure, please step in. Or if it goes against your value system, sure, step in. But if it's that they said the wrong words, y'all can talk about that later in a kind, empathetic way. But I want you to put yourself in their shoes. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence Whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. 
I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model. So that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt-free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. I think so often, especially in heterosexual relationships, I think so often... Women are expected to figure out what their kiddo needs and how they best feel calm and all this jazz. Like, what are what does this cry mean? Or what does this child best respond to? Or what works best in this situation? And we don't give dudes the opportunity to navigate that same stuff and to figure it out on their own with trial and error, error being a key word here, that there will be mistakes just as there have been for us when you had that screaming, crying child and you were like, okay, let me try feeding them. Nope. Let me try bouncing them on the ball. Nope. Let me try swaddling them. Nope. Oh, they're tired. Let me try putting them down. Like you worked on this so many times. And so often when it's a partner's turn to do this, we expect them to do it perfectly or we'll step in and just do it right, quote unquote there. We've got to give them the space to figure this out and to later be like, hey, man, I was having a hard time with X, Y, and Z. Like, what was, do you have any thoughts on this? What have you found here? Or was there anything that was really hard that you want to talk about? Then we can have conversations, but not from the place of, I know what's best for our kid and I'm here to be the fixer. If you need to leave the house while this is happening, if you need to step outside, if you need to put earbuds in and listen to Voices of Your Village podcast, (laughs) if you need to take space for yourself because it's too hard for you to regulate enough to not step in, go ahead. If you are the one who is going to be enforcing this boundary and holding this boundary that you've set that you are going to be doing bedtime tonight, even though this child wants their other parent to do it. If you're the one who's going to be doing it, A, you've got to have tools in your toolbox to pull from to regulate. B, you have to come up with some sort of mantra or phrase that works for you that reminds you this isn't about you, that this is about your child 
likely looking for what they can control here, what's within their control and what isn't. And there's a lot of discussion about like, we aren't supposed to control kids. And sure, but everybody in all of life is looking at what we control and what we don't control. Literally in everything, like from job descriptions to within a classroom to within a society of like, when I break the law, there is somebody else who's in control. There is somebody else who holds me accountable to that. We are letting them know when we hold a boundary that ultimately it is our job to support their health, growth, and development in the same way that I wouldn't let them run into the street when a car was coming because I felt like they should be able to make their own decision and I'm not in control of them. I wouldn't do that because it's a safety thing because they don't have a fully developed prefrontal cortex to be able to make this decision yet. Often when we're looking at growth and development, I think especially in this like respectful parenting community, we have this idea that we aren't allowed to hold these boundaries in the same way. This child doesn't have a fully developed prefrontal cortex. There are going to be decisions that we make for them because we have more lived experience in the same way that I'm not going to say, oh yeah, you don't have to change out of your poopy diaper if you don't want to. I know that then they're sitting in their feces and they're more likely to get a rash or potentially a yeast infection or a UTI. It's my job for their health to change them out of that poopy diaper, even if they don't want to. I'm not going to say, oh, you don't have to ride in a car seat because you really don't want to. I will give them choice. Would you like to climb into the car seat or should I put you into the car seat? I'm also going to give them a time limit because realistically, I'm not going to wait around for a half an hour for them to decide this. Also, really what I'm saying, if I, if I don't give them a time limit, then what I'm saying is, do you want to climb into the car seat by yourself now or do you want to do it on your own timeline? If I'm not willing to, even if they're upset about it, put them in the car seat because it's important for their safety when we're driving in the car, even if they don't like it, it's okay for them not to like it, guys. I... I think we have this idea that in order to be respectful of other kids, that they have to be happy about the boundaries or the choices all the time. And that's just not true. And that's going to come into play here so much is that they're not going to be happy about the boundaries we set because their first choice is, no, I just want to be with this other parent right now for everything. And it's okay to say, you know what, that's not going to work for us. So we need to figure out as co-parents what does work for us and set and hold those boundaries. It's not your job to be their friend or for them to like you all the time. I actually had a person reach out recently that was talking about boundary setting and holding, and she said that she started to really practice this stuff. She had listened to episode three of the podcast on boundaries and she started to really like put this into practice. And her kiddo was really upset as she was holding the boundary and After they processed and he was calm, he came back into the room where she was and said, I love you, mommy, and just snuggled into her because what he had just learned was she is going to keep me safe even if I'm mad about it. It's such an act of love. As you move forward, get on the same page with your partner. 
tap in to your own self-awareness around what is your attachment style? What are you bringing from your own childhood? And what do you want to cultivate with your child now? Maybe right now you don't have a secure attachment. Maybe so far you have been falling into one of the other categories. Maybe that's something you want to move away from. Maybe you want to form a different attachment. Great. You can show up for this kiddo in a different way. There's so much research on attachment theory from Mary Ainsworth and Dr. Bowlby about how vital it is specifically from parent to child and how that will serve and support your relationships for the rest of your life. So it's for sure something that I think is worth diving into. It's why we talk so much about our own regulation as adults and kids not being responsible for our feelings and us being able to hold space for them and whatever. And it doesn't have to be perfect. This guy's is never going to be perfect. But having this in mind of like, who do we want to be and how, what are we doing to move toward that? I'm here for progress, not perfection. But sitting, like, there's also a difference between like, it's not going to be perfect. And so I'm going to be stagnant. Then there is between like, it's not going to be perfect. And here are things I'm putting into place so that we're moving in this direction. That's like what we do at Mama's Getaway Weekend. We're like, we're diving into who are you? Where are you right now in life? What are you bringing to the table in your partnership, in your parenthood, with yourself, et cetera? And then we create a plan for going forward, not with the idea that it's going to be perfect, but with the idea that with this plan, you're making progress towards who you want to be as a person, as a partner, as a parent. Sitting down and making a plan with your partner about where you both are, where you're going to go, and what tools you're going to use to support yourself and your kiddo. Maybe it's a visual aid. It's a schedule that shows them what's coming up. You should for sure prep your kid with, here's who's going to do what. When mama gets home from work, mommy's going to cook dinner, and mama will be there to play with you. And then mommy is going to clean up dinner while mama gives you a bath. And then mommy and mama together are going to do bedtime. Just letting them know who's going to do what. And it might be accompanied by a visual aid, a schedule with your pictures next to it that shows them what to expect. And then you can stick to it. They might be mad about it, but it gives them a heads up and and support here. Uh, And then creating a plan for what this looks like for both of you emotionally to work through. All right. I love, love, love having these discussions with you after the podcast. So take a screenshot of you tuning in right now and share it and let me know. Slide into my DMs. Let's chat about it. Share it on Facebook and we can continue this conversation. I love to see where you're tuning in from and to dive a little deeper with y'all. All All right. I'll see you over on the gram. Thanks for tuning in to Voices of Your Village. Check out the show notes for this episode and all past episodes at voicesofyourvillage.com. Did you know that we have a special community for all of you to be a part of so that we can all gather together to raise emotionally intelligent humans? Head on over to Facebook, search Seed and Sow colon Voices of Your Village and dive into that Facebook group. We cannot wait to hang out with you and collaborate on raising these tiny humans. 
If you're digging this podcast, head on over to Apple Podcasts, scroll down, click those stars and leave a review. It really fills my heart to hear from all of you. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts.